Boom. Welcome back, everybody, to the Real Drug Talk podcast. It's been a long time in between wickets for us producing the show and putting it out there. So we're excited to be back. Um, I've been off for a month. Uh, We had our first child and it's just been a magic time for the last month. So we've been doing that gig. And as as I now know and everybody else that has children knows, the best laid plans uh, turn to shit when you have a youngster. Um, and, And that's what's happened here. So we're excited to jump back into the show and put out some episodes. Uh, As always, today's show is brought to you by Connection Based Living. Connection Based Living is our outpatient treatment program that we run. uh, And basically, we help people to transform out of addictive patterns without having to go to rehab. Um, So if that sounds of interest to you, you can click the links down below, which is www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. And you can book in a time to chat to us and, and, you know, we'll have a conversation with you and work out what needs to happen try and point you in the right direction and help where we can um so as i said we're excited to uh be back to our normal programming and and putting out another show um we started off with a bang um personal favorite of mine uh paul taylor is on the show today uh paul taylor He's just a crazy guy. I've got a bit of a man crush on him because he's just fucking awesome. Every time I talk to him, I come out of the conversation uh, punching my fist in the sky. Um, and as some of the regular listeners might know, I actually did a, a episode on his podcast not too long ago that was put up onto my um, onto my podcast channel maybe a couple months ago. So you can go back and listen to that. I won't try and say the name of the podcast because I always get it mixed up, but I think it's Body, Mind, Brain, performance podcast or something like that sorry paul um but paul is awesome um so he's ex uh british special forces and was a submarine hunter he he was um he underwent stress test training um you know like crazy crazy stuff that they do to uh, mentally stress people out and see if they can cope in the military from there when he finished his service he uh went and as he said he he turned into a geek um, and went and became a neuroscientist and has done all his research in resilience um, and has been finding some really interesting results with that. Um, and then, and as he describes himself, he's a pracademic. So, you know, he goes out to corporations, does motivational um, speeches and presentations and then formulates actual cha- behavioral change programs around them um, and, and helps um, people to change their life with whatever it may be. And all of it applies to addiction. You know, I've consulted him a lot um, and, he, and he talks about it, a lot of that in the podcast. So I'm excited to put that out today and let you guys have a listen. There's some real practical tips um, in this podcast with him explaining the science behind everything, which is really, really cool. Um, I'll put the links to Paul in the show notes. Highly recommend you go and check out all his stuff. He's the best in the business, best in the business at helping people change. It's amazing. Um, so have a listen and hope you get heaps out of it. All right. I think that's a big enough intro. feels like the first one back for a while needs a bigger intro. So without fail, let's jump into the show. Peace. All right, boom. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Real Drug Talk. Now, um, I say this every time, but yeah, look, again, I'm, I'm excited about the show today uh, because today we got Paul Taylor on and Paul... Uh, throughout the years now how, how long have we known each other we i know we discussed this on the podcast uh, the other man, day. i reckon it's gotta be eight or nine years if yeah. not ten. yeah 
so and and just quickly for the background for everybody, me and Paul were introduced through uh, some terribly unfortunate, unfortunate cir- yeah. circumstances with a friend of mine that pa- a friend of mine that passed away due to um, drug use, and um, uh, his his family knew Paul well and and worked mm-hmm. with him, and w- we came in contact like that. And the first time I met Paul was at one of your speaking gigs and I listened to Paul yeah, yeah. and I was like, fucking hell, this guy is awesome, you know? And I just loved it straight away. And and from there, you know, Paul's been a big part of me watching what he's doing, listening to his stuff and trying to implement things in my life. So I'm, I'm excited to chat to him and um, I'm, I'm excited for everyone listening because I think it's just coincided perfectly. We did a podcast the other month or something and, and we're back in another lockdown. And I say this to, you know, kind of Craig Harper all the time as well, really like addiction recovery or, or addiction mm. treatment. It really is like self-development, self-development, you know, yeah. all the stuff that you talk about, I talk about with people, we work on the same stuff. Um, and so Paul is like the best in, in this space. So I'm really excited for everyone to listen and see if we can pull out some practical golden nuggets in, yeah, a, a tough time for everyone, particularly if you're struggling with addiction issues and stuff. So how are you, mate? Yeah, man, I'm very good. And after that introduction, I'd better, Pressure's not, be, on. I'd better not be shit. <laughs> eh? Um, so just as some context, I, I never do it. I've started getting other people to, to, to introduce themselves a little bit, but can you just give us the three minute snapshot on your yeah. career and, and you, and, you know, cause it's really interesting and there's such a wide ranging experience base and professional, um, knowledge base as well. Okay. So look, my background's pretty eclectic. I'm ex-British Armed Forces. Actually, I'm an Irish Catholic who joined the British Armed Forces. I, I would <laughs> say it. recovering Catholic. There's not many, many of us in the British Armed Forces. But I, um, I spent eight years flying in helicopters doing anti-submarine warfare. So hunted submarines in helicopters. It's fucking crazy. Walter Mitty World, right? And then I did helicopter search and rescue in Scotland, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, I went through when I was in the military uh, combat survival and resistance to interrogation training, the lessons of which have stayed with me to this day. Wow. And then I left the military and became a geek. So I'm now <laughs> a neuroscientist, exercise physiologist, um, nutritionist, and currently doing a PhD in applied psychology, yep. where I'm, I'm working on uh, resilience and cognitive fitness. Uh, and I've just done my first intervention with um, the fleet air arm of wow. the Australian military, which is really cool for me, like coming full circle, working yeah. with a, a bunch of, of, uh, of aviators. And we ran a resilience intervention, showed that we st- had statistically significant improvements in mood, resilience and workplace burnout. Wow. Um, so that was pretty cool to actually see that the stuff that I've run for years in corporates to actually test it in in a scientific manner in a bunch of highly stressed out aviators who've been, you know, put through the ringer with the bushfires, the floods in New South Wales and, and all sorts of other issues going on. So, yeah, um, so yeah, that, that, that was pretty cool. So that's me. And I look, the the way I summarize myself is I'm a pracademic. So I, I like to take, all of the geeky academic research and, and actually think, how does this apply practically? So I, I'm a kind of a dot connector 
And I like to translate programs into what I call the so what. Mm. That's a really bit of interesting research. So what does that mean? How can I actually use it? And that's what I, to, like from a personal standpoint, that's what I love about you. Because recently in the last um, sort of five years, I've spent a lot of time with academics and researchers and stuff. And sometimes yeah. it's fucking hard not to fall asleep at the table because yes. you listen to all the stuff and it sounds really exciting. And just like you said, you, you kind of go, well, fuck, how do everyday Billy and Bob put that into their life? <laughs> that's right. And, 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 and that's, that's the key. And, and I think it, it, it takes people like you and me and, and Craig Harper and guys like that to be that bridge. And mm. because a lot of academics, they're really good talking academically, but they're shithouse translating it to real people and yep. real things. Some of them are very good at it, but, but a lot of them aren't, but they are, they're academics, right? That's the thing that they do. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So can I just ask, like, because I think that gives it context as well. And I'm, I'm interested to know. So when you were serving um, your time back in the British forces, like, so you were in like, or seeking after like live combat situations and being put in that stress. Well, so look, it's all about timing, right? So uh, I went through, I did my eight years when there was no major conflict going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, you know, five years either side, I'd have been right in the middle of the shit, but you yeah. train for it, right? Yeah. So every, all, all your life you're training for it. And it's interesting, you talk to people about going to war and, and a lot of people say, yes, there's a bit of fear, but mostly it's about excitement to actually put into place the stuff that we have trained all of our lives for. And if you haven't been in that game, it's really hard to get your head around. Yeah. That people would actually go to war with a level of excitement. Yeah. Um, but it's like when that's all that you train for, that's the, the pinnacle of it. And um, then it is, it's about testing your skills. And, and, and I think, that, that there's a lesson in that for life about seeking out discomfort yeah. and, and, and growth, I think is, is really key because it is in that discomfort um, that we tend to grow. And, and I interviewed a guy this, just this morning, actually, Dr. Stan Beecham, and, and he said that the, the purpose of your life is to put yourself in, in uncomfortable um, situations that actually stretch you. He says the purpose of life is not ha to be happy. Happiness is for five-year-olds, right? <laughs> the, the purpose to, is to actually grow. And we grow when we put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So, and that, res that resilience that you went into from that is, that sounds like it's directly uh, come from your experiences um, yeah, in, in, in the force and, and going through the stress testing and the interrogation training and all that sort of stuff. And, and look, that's part of it. And, and, and in, the, in the military, they call all of this stuff, whether it's basic training or advanced training or the, the, the stuff that special forces guys do or the stuff that we did in combat survival, they call it stress inoculation training. Right? Yeah. And, and so let, let, let's think about that because um, it's, it's very topical now. A vaccine, what happens with a vaccine and um, they inject you, well, until they've got the mRNA vaccines, but traditionally they'd inject you with a little dose of the actual virus or whatever it may be yep. so that you can amount an immune defense. And then when the real thing comes, your immune system has been trained to actually deal with it, right? So, yeah. so this is part of the branch of science called hormesis, which mm -hmm. I love. And, and I think it's a long 
it's a forgotten art and skill, not completely, but but largely. So hormesis is sublethal exposure to stresses or toxins, which at high levels can kill you, but at low to moderate levels induce stress resistance. Yeah. Right? yeah. So it's, it's best summed up by the words of Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher, and um, that which doesn't kill us. Yeah. Makes you stronger. Makes you stronger, right? We all yep. know that, right? Um, but that that is really what has spurned our species to be the dominant species on Earth. Is yep. that because we adapted better to the stress and pressures of, of, of the environment than any other species. Yeah. But I think a large part of the problem today is that we since the industrial revolution we've stopped adapting to our environment we've switched over to changing our environment and we've mm -hmm. now changed it to such an extent that we're no longer optimally matched to it so we've yeah. created this world of comfort and convenience that basically fucks with our genome yeah yeah it's interesting so and that was going to be my next question because that ties in well so you know, you talked about stress and burnout. And if I relate that back to, you know, um, struggling with any kind of addiction issues, um, you know, the, the sort of the societal narrative of the best way to cope with that is, you know, do some self-care, take some time out, yeah. you know, relax, all that sort of stuff. Is that wrong or does it just need context around it? Uh, well, yeah, look, I think a, a, any statement like that, there, there's nuance and, and, mm -hmm. and the, 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 the secrets in the nuance. So for some people, yes, they do need to relieve the pressure cooker because they're, they're driven to take drugs um, by the stress and the inability to deal with the stresses in their life or, yeah. or, or some emptiness in their life that they're trying to, to, to fill. Yeah. Uh, and look, uh, and, and we've got to also recognize that there's some people that are just thrill seekers, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they end up and it's a one hit wonder, you know, particularly when we're talking of the highly addictive drugs um, such as, as heroin uh, and ice, you know, the, the, yep. you can just be a thrill seeker. You can take that once like me and you could do it once you could be fine. And I could be an addict for life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, and you know, that goes into certain genes and predispositions and early life history and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. So I don't think we can put a, a, a one size fits all. So some people, they, they do need um, to have some self care and relieve the pressure cooker. Some people also just need to, learn coping skills, learn yeah. how to lean in to the discomfort successfully. Mm. And I, and this is what I'm saying is that we've lost that art of yeah. leaning into the discomfort yeah. um, with the express intention of, of benefiting from it in the long term. And, and I think it starts with parenting and, yeah. and, and, you know, we can really mess our kids up for life by being helicopter parents, well-intentioned, yeah. but, actually wanting to protect our kids from stress and danger. And that's one of the worst things that you can do, <laughs> particularly when we live in a, in a country like Australia, where yeah. it's not really that dangerous. Right? Yeah. So what do you, so, and, and I'll, I'll circle back to some, some more practical questions, but I think people find that interesting. So I, I know that if you don't mind, I know that you've got some, some kids and and yeah. so what kind of things have you done to like promote that yeah that 
uh, ability for them to deal with stress, process it, learn cope, positive, healthy yeah. coping skills, resilience, all that sort of stuff. Well, look, look, one of my major issues as a parent, one of my major concerns um, was, you, you know, I was brought up in Belfast in the 1970s <laughs> from a, a mixed marriage, right, which was very rare. We were brought up as Catholics. We always lived in Protestant neighborhoods. Wow. So that becomes challenging when you walk to school every day through a Protestant neighborhood with a Catholic uniform, right? If anyone doesn't know the history of that, go, just quickly go and Google it and you'll get an idea of how hectic that would have been. Yeah, and, and, and it was all kicking off in the 70s, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it's resilience building, right? And, and now I'm bringing up my kids in a bubble within a bubble within a bubble. And what yeah. I mean by that, Australia is a bubble country. Anybody who's only lived in Australia really doesn't know what the rest of the world is actually like, right? Yeah, yeah. We are very lucky, and, I, I, and I'm not complaining. I love it here, right? Yeah. But it, it's reasonably insulated against the, you know, the troubles of most of humanity. Yeah. Then I live in Mount Eliza in the Mornington Peninsula, which <laughs> is this beautiful little village. It's very white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, and which yeah. I'm not a particular fan of, but it's a bubble in that case. And, and it's a beautiful village that's a bubble. And my kids go to wonderful schools with really cool teachers yeah. and who are, who are um, really invested in them and supporting them. And they're brought up in a bubble, in a bubble, in a bubble. Right. Yep. So how do you bring up resilient kids? And people will tell you it's all about positive psychology. And, and, and I'll tell you, a lot of that positive psychology is well-intentioned, but ill-founded. Right. Yep. And this whole boosting self-esteem came out of um, um, the United States in the, in the 80s and 90s. And, and actually wasn't evidence-based and just got into to the psyche, right? So this boosterism where we tell our kids that they're awesome and they can be anything they want to be, I actually think is, is bordering on dangerous, right? <laughs> but um, so, so then to, to get back to my kids, I talked to my wife about it. And she vetoed my, Carly, she vetoed my first suggestion, which was taking my kids on kiddie version of combat survival and resistance to interrogation <laughs> training, right? She went, nah, that ain't happening. No, I'm kidding. But we both, we, we, we agreed on sport. Yeah. Uh, and so we said to our kids when they were nine and five, okay, here's the gig. You got to do a team sport and a martial art. And, yeah. and you need to continue to do one. You can choose whatever you want. We'll, we'll bring you, we'll... Um, support you. And I think a role of a parent is to open doors for opportunities and, and exploration and curiosity, right? Yeah. So let's try a whole heap of things. Um, and then they both went for karate and soccer. One got one into one, one got the other into the other. And, and, and they've been great. And I, I think the reason those things are important a martial art, it's all about discipline, it's about dedication, it's about hard work, it's about respect. Yeah. And it's all those things that are really, really important. And then teamwork is really about collaboration with others, about gelling together, about developing leadership skills, about dealing with difficult people uh, and all of those things. Right. And, and so they have been very important. And, and, and also, you know, taking my kids out around exercise and pushing them to the point of discomfort on exercise. And, yeah. and, and you know, my 11 year old um, last week, we were over, or two weeks ago, we were over in New Zealand um, competing in the um, New Zealand championships, right? Wow. Um, and, um, and, and he went there, he's Australian champion. He, he ended up getting a bronze medal. But as we were going there, he said, dad, 
He said, I, I want to thank you for everything that you've done. And I said, what do you mean, mate? And he says, I really want to thank you for pushing me, for pushing me really hard because I wouldn't be here if you hadn't pushed me, right? Love it. And that, that was really, particularly for an 11-year-old yeah. to, to, to actually realize that and, and, and come out with it. So, so for me, it's been mostly is around the physical stuff, but it's also yeah. then about letting your kids um, you know, letting them fall down and, and just going, you know, get up, you'll be fine. You know, you'll be right. That sort of stuff, but yeah. um, not intervening too early, but yeah. also just being there whenever they need you. I, and I think um, helping your kids to find the value in mistakes and screw ups, right. Yeah. To not cover them up, to actually reflect on them, to debrief on and say, where is the learning opportunity? Right. And I think that's, it's really interesting that you bring that up because like how you're describing it, I think that has kind of got twisted over the years in society where a lot of people think that if you like that, then it's this like old school, you know, male dominant way of just like, don't talk about your fucking feelings. Don't yes. cover up your mistakes or, but it's not that. Yeah, it's it, not that. It's, <laughs> it's not actually, that. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we, we we ask our kids to to talk about their feelings, to express themselves, and stuff like that, and 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 also, you, you know, what we're big on with our kids, both of us, is about their character, yeah, and, and about saying that, that that you know, it's really about it's about your character and how you're acting and behaving, um, um in certain situations, right? mm. and mm. I think you bring any kid up in that sort of environment, they friggin' thrive, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So it's funny you say that because I often say this to people that come through our treatment program or that, you know, I've spoken to in the past and anybody that I know in recovery, you know, like this is a broad statement that needs context as well, but largely like the addiction stuff is in, in some ways a little bit self-inflicted um, mm. or it could be viewed like that. But if you actually can hang on and come out the other side it's amazing, like whatever you pick as the thing that you want to do, it's amazing the amount of people that have success in that area mm. because they're able, yes, they're able to kind of uh, invest in their like addictive traits, obsession and compulsion and stuff yeah. like that into whatever it is. But they're also experts at just like eating shit all day, every day and like getting punched in the guts and keep going and living with pain and all that sort of stuff. And they're, you know, they thrive. They thrive. And, they, it's and, 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 and that's really important. The ability to get punched in the guts and live with pain, right? Um, and, yeah. and, and one thing that, that Stan Beecham um, talked about this morning, and the reason is because it's just fresh in my mind. So he, he, he talked about these monks in, in Japan who, um, who run uh, a marathon every day, run a walk for 100 days, right? And yeah. they do that for... for for seven years, right? And they end up running a <laughs> thousand marathons, right? Over seven years. But th th they have this thing that if they feel they kill themselves, right? So they bring a knife with them and they kill themselves. Right? So, but, but he's talking about commitment, right? And, and, and it's like, so let's think about if everybody thinks here about something that they wanted to achieve, whether it's getting in shape, getting off drugs, um, you know, working towards that, that job, getting yourself, um, it, 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 whether it's fitness, changing your diet, whatever it may be, right? All those things that will be people listening to it going, yeah, I've tried that and I really want it, but oh, fuck, I just can't do it, right? Yeah. So what if you feel you have to kill yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> Would you do it? 
people would would end up doing it right there's yep. the thing and 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 stan says most people die not knowing what they're capable of yep. right and 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 we got to think about that that there's the positive side of addiction is that when people hit that rock bottom and they they've got to pull themselves out of the deep shit by their bootstraps and it's a struggle every day that then they know what they're capable of and it develops that character and that grit. So that is the upside of addiction. The people who come out of it often come out of it better than when they went into it. Right. Yeah. And they need to hit the depths to actually find out what they're actually capable of. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. So all of this that you're talking about, as you said, you've you've put it in. It's it's been your research project, um, and you know you're starting to get some really interesting results with it, and it's fascinating to listen to you talk about it. Well, I think I heard you say it the other day. You were talking about grit. Like, how do people actually go and develop that grit? Yeah. Like, what are some like really practical things that they can do if they do want to change their behavior? with whatever it is um, in, in this case uh, addiction and, and don't get us wrong when we're talking about this, it's very contextualized, you know, you need a personal plan and all that stuff, but yeah, sure. Bro broadly, like what, what can people do? So, so, so a couple of things. So, so number one, anything, any change in behavior mm -hmm. is about neuroplasticity in the yeah. brain, right? If we look at it from a neuroscience perspective, it's about changing your brain because your brain controls everything that you do right yeah, yeah. all of your behavior all of your movements all of that stuff so we need to understand that and, and we need to give the brain the, the 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 fundamental ingredients the building block for neuroplasticity right and the best way to do that um other than getting injected with magic pills is actually physical exercise right yeah. the, the, I, I mean i could spend the next hour and a half talking about the cellular benefits of physical exercise, but particularly when we're talking about the brain, yeah. um, there are a number of different ways that exercise ends up creating something called BDNF in your brain, right? Yeah. This is the holy grail of neuroscience and particularly around behavior change, right? Because BDNF helps you to grow new brain cells and create new connections. So you yeah. want to change behavior, you need new brain cells and new connections, and you need to strengthen those connections. And BDNF is critical for that, right? So mm. exercise does that. It releases something called aricin, or aricin, depending on your pronunciation. Also lactate, um, which a lot of people think of as lactic acid, that crosses the blood-brain barrier and triggers the release of BDNF, right? Yeah. Ar aricin or aricin is released in your working muscles. That crosses the blood-brain barrier and triggers BDNF, right? So, so, so <clears throat> excuse me, that BDNF enables us to have a brain that is capable of flexibility and adaptability and creating new behaviors, right? The other thing <clears throat> that exercise is really important for in terms of people's overall mental health and well-being, but particularly recovery for addiction, is the mood-enhancing chemicals. Yeah. Right? So endorphins, most people have heard of, but there are other things that are really important. So endocannabinoids, right? Mm -hmm. What does that remind you of when I say that word, endocannabinoids? Uh, the cannabinoid thing reminds me of, uh, yeah, smoking chuff. <laughs> of weed, right? Yeah. The only reason that weed is pleasurable, allegedly, is that <laughs> it 
docks on the cannabis receptor in your brain. So we yeah. have a cannabinoid receptor in our brain and our brain produces its own cannabinoids. Endo means endogenously produced cannabinoids. Yeah. That's, you know, the runner's high. Yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. is the runner's high, endocannabinoids, right? Yeah. So they're feel-good chemicals. We got endorphins. Then we have three other neurotransmitters that are actually what we call neuromodulators as well. And I get into that in a second. Serotonin dopamine, norepinephrine, sometimes called noradrenaline, right? Serotonin is important for mood and sleep, right? Yep. Dopamine is important for goal-directed behavior and motivation. Do you think yep. you need that to get out of being an addict, right? 100%. <laughs> and then norepinephrine is around focus, right? Yep. And mood. So you look at the two major classes of antidepressant drugs, SSRIs and SNRIs. Mm -hmm. They stand for selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. They work on those neurotransmitters that you produce. Yeah. But exercise boosts your production, which is more mm -hmm. effective, which is mm -hmm. why exercise beats antidepressant and anti-anxiety medication hands down, right? Yeah. yeah. And so now those three neurotransmitters, they're called monomines. They are also what's called neuromodulators. So the difference is a neurotransmitter will connect two neurons together in the syn or, or synapses, right? Whereas a neuromodulator has widespread actions throughout areas of your brain or central nervous system. So serotonin, as well as being important for mood, is important for, for your heart. It's also important for your gut. Um, it's involved in the contractions of the muscle in your gut, and it protects your gut lining, right? Mm -hmm. Stopping you developing autoimmunity and all that sort of stuff, right? So um, now, I, and, and I want to throw out a, 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 one of my favorite quotes in any research journal I've read by Professor Frank Booth from the Journal of Applied Physiology in 2012, right? He was talking about the human genome. Mm -hmm. Here's what he said. The human genome is not changed in over 45,000 years. The current human genome requires and expects us to be highly physically active for normal functioning. Note mm -hmm. the way he didn't say optimal. So let's just look at it through that lens. Let's start with um, people getting into drugs initially. Some people, not all, some people get into drugs because there's a chasm in their life or they've got low mood and they want to pick me up, right? Yep. And, and often there's that chasm in their life where there's low mood because their brain is not functioning normally mm -hmm. because they're not being physically active enough, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a large contribution to depression and anxiety in our societies that we do not move anywhere near as much as our ancestors, right? That's the first thing. Yeah. Then the second thing that you take drugs over a long period of time, you damage your brain mm -hmm. and you will impact on those neurotransmitter systems significantly. So you need to, to build them back up to normal physiological functioning. And yeah. exercise is one of the best ways that you can do that. So if we, if we look at it again, just to recap, it helps with that neuroplasticity. It also helps um, to, to lift your mood and have your brain function normally but it also affects your gene expression and it helps to moderate your behavior. So we know that when people regularly exercise, volume in a certain area of their frontal lobe increases. And yep. that's the area to do with self-control and willpower, right? Mm. Do you think having good self-control is important? A, 100%. in preventing you getting addiction, but B, if you're trying to get the road out of there, you need self-control. So you need to be able, so you can't always just 
take yourself out of the situation. Mm. If you're ever faced with that, you need good self-control. The 100%. best way to build your self-control is physical exercise, right? 100%. So that's the exercise bit. And I think yeah, it's yeah. fundamental. I mean, you have discussed that, right? Like with the perfect rehab place, they'd be in there and they'd be exercising every single day, right? Yeah. And, and the other thing they'd be doing every single day, if I have my way, is cold water exposure, right? Yeah. For yeah. a number of different reasons. When you expose yourself to cold water, norepinephrine is released in your brain, right? Mm -hmm. That feel-good chemical. Um, it, it activates stress response genes that change gene expression, right? So you get those positive changes throughout um, your cellular metabolism. Um, it also improves your immune function. But um, the other thing is that when you expose your muscles to cold, they release arisen or arisen that we talked about earlier that yep. releases BDNF that helps your brain with neuroplasticity, right? Yep. Yep. And then, you know, one of the key things um, on, 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 on cold water exposure. And I ha I've had a cold shower every single day for the last six years. Right. Yeah. And, and, and every week I've missed a couple <laughs> lately, but, but every week in winter, me and a bunch of mates go down. Now we do it sort of socially distanced two two over here, two over there and, and, and locked up, but we go and we get in the bay in the water and it's 11 degrees right now. And we stay in there for 10 minutes. Right. And we don't move around. <laughs> we stay in there for 10 minutes and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but it's that whole idea of get comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah. so that you can actually build grit. And Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor and Stoic philosopher, talked about this. He said, Marcus, you should be doing regular, vigorous exercise and regular cold water bathing because he said it, they both develop character. Yeah. And it is this character that you will need to face challenges in your life. Yeah. So for me, there are two things that are fundamental, as is there's a couple of other things that we can talk about. Um, sleep hygiene and breath work, yeah. I think, is, is, is also really important. And that's what I was going to ask, right? Because, like, it's so cool the day and age that we live in. And I must admit, over the last, you know, sort of 10 years, my, like, knowledge and interest in lots of different things has gone through the roof because of the internet and you know mm. I've, I've become interested in reading or listening to books and education that I never would have sought out if it wasn't for the internet and it being right there in front of me but the one thing that I struggle with as well is that in this space you know what I mean there's like all these things kind of become almost like gimmicky you know and there's mm. like so many things there's like breath work, meditation, cold showers, um, you know, connection with others, like there's the eating, the gut, like, and there's so many fucking things. And if you were to do them all in one day, you wouldn't mm. be able to do your life. <laughs> you mm. know what I mean? So how do people go, this is the thing that I need to do. Are, are they the four that you would recommend as kind of the yeah. foundation? Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, that they, they are the, the foundational elements, right? So, so the yeah. breath work, is really about arousal control and it doesn't take long, right? So if we're yep. talking about arousal control, that's just controlling stress in your brain. Yep. And, and, and it only takes a minute, right? And what people need to understand is that, is that, 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 that anxiety um, or that stress, it arises from the body. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're having that physiological response. It's a two-way interaction between brain and body. And, and, and what you can actually do is use your breath 
to activate your vagus nerve and your phrenic nerve from the bottom up, right? Yeah. So when we're stressed, it's what we call top-down activation mm. of that sympathetic nervous system, right? Your heart beats faster, your blood pressure goes up, your breathing gets faster, the blood that's in your gut, uh, in your digestive system gets shunted to your working muscles to help you to fight or run away, your mm -hmm. immune system's temporarily suppressed, as is your reproductive system, because there's no point ovulating or creating sperm when you're being chased by a lion. It's a waste of bloody <laughs> energy, right? Yeah. So what we now know is that certain types of breath work, whether it's box breathing, I like because it's really simple. Uh -huh. Breathe like the sides of a box, breathe in for four or five, hold for four or five, out for four or five, hold for four or five, or resonant frequency breathing. And let me just really shorten this. People can get most of the benefits of that from six breaths a minute. So that's a 10 second breath cycle, but the breath in has to be shorter than the breath out. Mm -hmm. Right. So breathe in for four, breathe out for six or breathe in for three, breathe out for seven. If you are feeling yourself that you are stressed and it's often stress that will um, cause us to relapse um, mm -hmm. is that you just do that. But I actually I have a, 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 a discharge, recharge, reframe. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you're feeling that stress, if this is if this is possible, you're not standing in the middle of the street, 30 seconds of vigorous exercise, 30 seconds to a minute. You want to discharge stress hormones, right? When yeah. you run or, or exercise, you burn up stress hormones and it brings your body back to homeostasis, right? Yeah. So that's the discharge. Discharge the stress hormones. Recharge by doing a minute of the breathing mm -hmm. and then you reframe. And that's where the cognition stuff, the metacognition stuff is, the shining your light uh, of your attention, or, or you just, you, you reframe that negative event or, or whatever it may be, right? Yeah. So that arousal control little package there, I think is really useful. Mm. And then the last one is sleep hygiene, because man, it, 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 it is so underappreciated. <laughs> It's um, the biggest thing. I've been really working hard on it lately and I've noticed the difference since we've had a little baby and uh, sleep. Oh, I would say that's probably the biggest one, hands down. You know? uh, it, 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 it is massive and particularly for not proper brain function. So mm. Sleep is it's a non-negotiable. It's yeah. one of the few non-negotiables in life that you need good sleep in order for your brain and body to function well, right? Mm. And, and, and most people sabotage their sleep by messing with their circadian rhythms. It's right? just become such a cultural thing, isn't it? Like, you it, know, it, it, it yeah. is. And, and, and it's, you know, it's the, it's the, the rise of mobile phones, particularly. And I say to people, your bedroom needs to be a sleep sanctuary. Yeah. This is where you go to sleep. And if you're lucky, you get a bit of oofty magoofty every now and then, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is not a place for televisions. Uh, it's not a place for laptops. And it's not a place for mobile phones, right? Yeah. And most of your listeners are sitting there. And I guarantee you, nine out of 10 have their mobile phones in their bedroom. And they're all going, but it's my alarm clock. Right? <laughs> and I say, buy a $10 alarm clock, you tight arse. Because <laughs> if your phone is beside your bed, your brain is hypervigilant, right? Yep. So it interferes with sleep. So it's get that stuff. So we know that kids, teenagers, who bring a device into their bedrooms, sleep on average one to one and a half hours less than their peers. And they yep. have doubled the risk of mental health issues. Right. And, and, you know, that's all linked in with, with addiction, right? So that sleep. And, and again, we could talk for an hour about sleep hygiene, but I think the three things make your bedroom a sanctuary, 
and go to bed at the same time every night or very yeah. close to it. And more importantly, get up at the same time every morning and then get out into early morning light mm-hmm. and evening light. When the sun is rising and the sun is setting, when the rays are yellow, not it's not the blue light. It's that yellowy light at sunrise and sunset that entrains your circadian rhythms. Mm. You mess with your circadian rhythms, you ain't going to have good sleep. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And then there's a, there's a knock-on effect as well of that sleep onto how much you move, how you deal with stress, what you eat, all of that. So we are an ecosystem. That mm. is why we need an ecosystem approach, mm. not a siloed approach. I love that. I've actually, you know what? I've never heard that before. We are an ecosystem. It's so true. Um, mm. and, and that's the approach that we need. And I wish I had have known this sleep stuff and it was more popularized back when I was getting clean and sober because yeah, I used methamphetamine predominantly at the end. And obviously (laughs) that fucks with your sleep. Um, So when I got into recovery, I didn't know any of that stuff. You know, I would talk to people and they would tell you things like drink a fucking warm glass of milk and, you know, turn off the TV and stuff. But if I, if I knew a lot of that stuff, like it still would have taken time and hard work, but I reckon I could have brought it Shortened back. It. Yeah, for sure. Because that made things so hard for me in the early days. Like for about 18 months, I was like severely depressed because I fucking couldn't sleep. You know what I mean? I was up until four in the morning, had to get up. Then I would fall asleep in the middle of the day and I was just fucked, you know? Yeah. And, and, and man, here's the thing. So when people can't sleep, what, what tends to happen is they use alcohol or marijuana, right? That's right. And they'll say, that helps me get to sleep. Both of those things interfere with your ability to get into REM sleep, right? Now, there's something really interesting that's come out recently about REM sleep. That is the only time in your life when norepinephrine is blocked in your brain, right? So norepinephrine is a stress chemical. It's a feel-good chemical, but it's a stress chemical, right? And at high levels, it causes anxiety. So what is happening when you're in REM sleep or dream state, there's tremendous amount of activity in your frontal and temporal lobes, right? And, and, and scientists reckon that we are replaying the day's events and we're deciding what's important to store as a memory. And it's mm-hmm. emotional stuff that gets stored. But we replay those events in the absence of stress. So stressful stuff that happened to you that day is actually stored as a memory but it takes the stress out of it, right? So it's like therapy. Every night you're in REM sleep, your brain goes through therapy. Yeah. And what they have shown, you deprive, they're doing this in mice, rats, and humans. You deprive them of REM sleep, they develop anxiety within a week or two, right? Wow. They have mood disorders within a couple of days and they develop anxiety really, really quickly. So this is the catch 22 that people get themselves into. They're taking marijuana or alcohol to get to sleep. They're not having good restorative sleep. Mm. They're waking up the next day. They're tired because their sleep quality has been impacted, right? Then they drink caffeine to wake them up, right? (laughs) And notice this pattern. And and, and they will, will generally have three, four shots of caffeine a day, whether it's energy drinks, diet drinks, coffee, tea, chocolate, that sort of stuff. And when you're having four exposures of caffeine spaced out a little bit, it actually means that you have caffeine in your brain at stimulant levels 24-7, 365 days a year, right? 
then you struggle to get to sleep. So you drink alcohol or take marijuana, right? Or you can't, you, you know, you toss and turn, you have a shit night's sleep. And then what happens after shit night's sleep, your hormones have changed. Leptin, um, which governs voluntary physical activity, is actually reduced the next day, right? Mm -hmm. That means you're more likely to sit on your arse all day long. You're less likely to do a workout. That means you're less able to handle the stresses of the day's events. That means you're more likely to drink alcohol or eat shit food to soothe your anxiety. And in both cases, you're more likely to have a crap night's sleep and it's Groundhog Day, mm. right? Leptin, your hunger hormone, is increased after a bad night's sleep and your stress hormones are higher. And that makes you crave yeah. sugary, fatty, salty foods. And when you eat that sort of stuff, particularly late in the evening, it interferes with stress or, or sorry, it interferes with sleep or you're eating shit that and then you beat yourself up because you've had a shit day and you've made bad choices. Then you get angry at yourself. Then you get angry at yourself because you're being angry and you go into this overthinking vortex, right? Yeah. So it's to listen to you put like the science to it. It just makes so much sense. And I hope this really resonates with people. And, and this is why it's so important. And what you're saying, and this is what I'm getting out of it as well, and I think this has been the problem with the treatment system in Australia, pro probably everywhere really, is that all this stuff that you said, it's about you know neuroplasticity and using your biology to actually put a point in the win column for you. So it yeah. gives you the opportunity to have the change happen when you sit down and do the therapy, you know, it's the building block foundation of the change making process. Um, yeah. And it's completely missing from most of the mainstream treatment system. You know, you go into pretty much that I can think of off the top of my head, you go into most private hospitals um, or most public treatment um, facilities or whatever mm. it is. And there will be elements of some of this stuff, but you're not exercising every day. Right. You're not being taught about sleep. You, you, you do an awesome therapy session and then you go down and eat fucking Boston bun for morning tea. You know, like yeah, it's, yeah, that, that, that to me is, is bonkers. And what, what most people don't realize, and we haven't really touched on it is, is nutrition and the role of nutrition yep. that everything that goes in your mouth affects your gene expression. Right. Yep. And there, there are literally, this is what most people don't get. There's literally tens of thousands of chemical reactions that are going on inside your body every single minute. And most of them need enzymes and cofactors. And yep. we get those enzymes and cofactors from real food, right? Mm. How do you know if food is real? Real food does not have ingredients. Real food is ingredients, right? <laughs> About 50% of the food that we eat in this country and in most developed nations is what we call ultra-processed food. Mm. It is food-like substances that is very low in nutrients. And, and most people focus, and it does my head in, they focus on the fat, the carbohydrate, the protein, right? Yeah. Uh, or, or they're talking about their vitamins and minerals and they're eating shit quality fortified breakfast cereals because <laughs> they've got certain vitamins and minerals and they don't realize that in natural foods like fruits and vegetables and other natural foods, there's between 10 and 15,000 nutrients, right? Mm. There are thousands of polyphenols and flavonoids that actually interact with our biochemistry on a mm. cellular level to create those reactions. And I get back to the ecosystem. We need to support our ecosystem. It's all about biology at, yeah. at that cellular level that you need 
to give your biology, your ecosystem, the sustenance that it needs to thrive. And when you're eating the, those ultra processed foods, um, there's two things. Number one, they're bad for your health directly. But number two, they crowd out the nutri the dense, nutritionally dense food that supports the ecosystem. So you're both you're both starving the ecosystem of oxygen, and then you're burning off different parts of the ecosystem, right? If we if we make it analogous to the Amazon, you're logging over here, and then you're starving it of of nutrients and water over on the other side, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a double whammy of damage. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. I, I could talk to you about this for like six hours and I'm conscious, right? Because I've noticed this with people and maybe it's my projection, but I don't think so. You know, like we live in the world of, of like when people are taking in information there and I do it as well, you, you're putting it through this like identity filter, filter. you know? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm conscious like, because as we're listening to Paul talk and, the hour that we're doing here is nowhere near enough. You know, most people start to formulate this thing and go, oh, he's this fucking military guy. He's a fucking commando. He's just a crazy, like, discipline your way out of things. And 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 it's not, you know, like, and because I think you have the, like this really interesting story with all this different stuff and we don't have time to, to talk about it completely, but you brought it up there with your Amazon analogy. Like, mm. Paul's been deep into the Amazon before it was fucking cool and done like ayahuasca and, mm. you know, seen the impacts of that. Um, so it's this whole holistic Me, approach. I mean, that I, needs I'm, to not I'm not sitting here talking from an academic, purely academic perspective, right? Yeah. I'm a pracademic, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, I have taken um, ayahuasca and, and, and I've taken. Um, other stuff. I've had frog poison. Uh, I've had um, <laughs> San Pedro cactus in, in the Amazon. I've had other stuff. I drink alcohol, um, you, you know, and I, I do occasionally eat crap food, but I balance it. You know, so we have an 80 20 rule in our house, yep. right? So yep. I'm not, I'm not one of these gurus that, that sits and says, you know, this is, this is what I do, blah, 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 blah. Yes. I, I like alcohol and I give it a nudge every now and then. And I eat a little bit of crap food as, as 20% stuff. Yeah. But I also, I balance the scales. That's yep. the thing that, and, and everybody needs to find their own balance. Right. And here's the thing. If you're recovering from something, probably 80, 20 is not optimal. It might be 90, 10 that is optimal while you get yourself back. Right. 100%. Then you can go into that sort of 80, 20 mode. I think that is the key thing. I would, I would probably say even more. And, and that's the point that I want to make with all of this stuff as well, because I think people don't, kind of realize well I know I didn't and I didn't account for it is that when you're going through any behavior change and and I'm the same at the moment I was saying to Paul before we jumped on um, and we're recording you know I'm trying to do a bit of a fitness challenge thing at the moment because um, I got a bit of the Covey belly happening and and like the thing that I've learned about changing stuff in my life so far over the journey with different things is that you need to give yourself I don't know, like three weeks to a month of like an adjustment period, mm. whether it's like you're deciding to come off antidepressants, you're changing your diet, you're trying to give up like a addiction, whatever you, whatever you're trying to do, there's like this period of time where you're doing all the stuff that Paul's just mentioned and you don't feel good straight away. Yeah, you don't yeah. feel the benefits right. from it. You actually usually feel worse at mm. the start because yeah. your body is going through this whole process of, 
detoxification, yeah. uptake of the new habit and behavior, the lingering effects of that, all your fucking shit going haywire <laughs> psychologically and biochemically. And it's just important for everybody to know that is that we suffer from this world of like, oh, there's this breath technique. It's going to fix me in fucking yeah. three days. Yeah, no, yeah, it's yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Takes time. And yeah, I know yeah. you're a big proponent of this. Like it's, it's consistency and commitment over a period of time. That's yeah. right. And, and, and it's a game of snakes and ladders, right? Yeah. We, we've all got to realize it's a game of snakes and ladders. Um, but there's, there, there's another couple of things like, like you need to, you need to find your why, right? Anthony Robbins says that find your why, you'll find your way. But he nicked it from Frederick Nietzsche. Yep. He is a why to live can bear almost any how, right? Mm. And and this is, and, and it's all linked with self-determination theory, right? Where it's, you've got to find the reasons why it's important for you to make the change, not for anybody else. And particularly at an emotional level. And, and, and we talked about identity, right? And, and, and your past identity, it is your identity, right? Your belief systems were, were, were uh, um, actually bestowed upon you when mm. you were younger by those around you, right? And before you had time to, to consciously process, there'll be people who believe in God out there who've got no idea why they believe in God, right? Because <laughs> that was just what happened with those around them and they believe it and, and, do they really? But, but anyway, the point is that your identity has been created along the way, right? Yeah. From your environment and, and for those people. And it doesn't matter really if your identity is kind of all screwed up or your past is all screwed up. It's about moving forward, right? Yeah. And, and it's about, I always say to people around behavior, who do you want to be? What type of person do you want to be right mm -hmm. um, and and it's all about what characteristics do you want to actually exhibit right you've got to identify that first and it's what the stoics talked about they said everything the path to eudaimonia path to flourishing or fulfillment is all about arete and arete is about character or virtue yeah. So first of all, you know, you, you, if you're going to go somewhere, A, you, you know, I remember at combat survival training, they dropped us off in the arsehole of nowhere. You don't know where you are. You've got a map. You know the coordinates of, of where you need to get to, but you need to work out where you are before you can work out the track to get there, right? Yeah. So it's looking at it saying, well, well who, who am I now, right? What are my characteristics now? What are the strengths that I have now? And then who do I want to be? Like what virtues or values, what's important to me? What virtues or character strengths do I actually want to exhibit? And then how am I going to do that on a daily basis, right? That's really, really key um, mm. to start with. And then it's about having some form of responsibility and accountability as yeah. well as all of that stuff, right? Is that we actually need to be responsible for stuff. And I think a, a, a lot, and we have talked about this before and maybe in, in not, not exactly in this way, but when you look back at, at us um, from our ancestral perspective, we're all members of a tribe, right? Yeah. And, and you needed to contribute to that tribe. That, that, that was key. That was your purpose in life mm -hmm. was to contribute to the tribe because it was all about survival mm -hmm. with little moments of joy in amongst all of that heartache and trying to get enough food and, and, you know, getting away from that tribe and these animals and stuff like that. We had some little moments of joy, but everybody had a role to play. They had a contribution, right? Even young kids. Yeah. And it's that contribution, that, that sense 
of, of contribution and relatedness, right? That Richard Ryan talks about, you need competence, you need relatedness, you need autonomy, right? Um, that was really critical. And Dunbar, who's a Scottish anthropologist, Dunbar's number, he showed that when the human tribe got to around 150, then everything fell apart, right? Yeah. And it fractured into other tribes, right? So we have traditionally been members of small communities, those tribes where we are contributing to those tribes. And that gives us a sense of purpose. Yeah. And a lot of people go down the drug routes, not exclusively, but a lot of people do because they have this emptiness, this lack of purpose in their life, right? 100%. And, then, and then trying to find it. So for me, it's about being responsible, for, for, for stuff and um, being responsible for others, helping others out, like finding your role in, in giving yourself that purpose. And it's about human connection and actually helping other people. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So just real quick, cause I know um, that you have to go. Um, it's been fascinating. Uh, we've got to get you back. Um, cause there's a thousand more questions I have, but for, for Jane, sitting at home fucking in the fifth lockdown in Melbourne and lockdowns in the rest of Australia and yeah, the other places in the world that are listening. Um, what would be sort of just the simple practical things of all the stuff that we've talked about that people can start to implement today that's going to help them to change their behavior, whether that's they're trying to change some addictive patterns, improve their mental health, get fit, lose weight, stick yeah. to their diet, whatever it is, what, what would you just kind of broadly recommend that they focus on? Yeah, well, the first one is you go fifth lockdown. We're almost done. Five <laughs> lockdowns down, only three or four to go before Christmas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I would say you can either sit and play the victim. Yeah. Right. Or you can do what the Stoics would say and take responsibility. Yeah. Right. So you take responsibility for the hand that fate deals you. You're in lockdown. Maybe shit has happened to your business. You know what? That's just the universe. The universe owes you nothing, right? So first of all is get out of that victim mentality. And I talk yeah. to someone who COVID wiped out my business last year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing is taking responsibility for your own predicament that you're in right now, right? Yeah. Because then you're compelled to do something about it, right? Yeah. Then it's, it, it's about the choice. It's about sitting down and saying, right, right, who do I actually want to be? You know, you can talk about what do you want to have, but actually that's not really important. That's mm -hmm. not the stuff that you take with you. How do I want to be? And, and what, what do I want to do with my life? Where do I want to spend my time and my activities? And do a bit of an audit of your life right now, right? Yeah. And then it's about just zeroing in on, on a goal. And I would recommend that that goal has got to be pretty short term you've got to be able to achieve it in the next three months right whether that's to do with addiction or your physical health or whatever and then break it down into monthly targets right mm -hmm. and i want you to zero in in that month and then you got to say okay what am i going to do in the next week right and that you're going to run your life week by week and then you're going to say, in order to be that person that I want to be or to have that outcome, what behaviors do I need to do this week, right? And hopefully you'll have some ideas around nutrition, around exercise, cold charge, sleep. So make a list, write down, and um, I call them rituals, yeah. write down those rituals, have a few of them hard 
like you know going out for a big run or, or whatever having a healthy lunch whatever but lots of them little ones right i'm going to do 10 push-ups and just boom just do 10 push-ups tick it off and you can take that lots and lots of times right i'm going to be do your gratitude ritual that sort of stuff um so break it down to those rituals and create a board with your targets and what I call a ritual board where you're taking stuff off. Right. Mm -hmm. And then every Sunday you're going to rate yourself out of 10. Right. Yeah. And sometimes it'll be shit. Um, and that's okay. You look at it and you go, you need to become a scientist of your own human behavior. Uh -huh. Right. So in that last week, right. And let's take you with your, what do you call your COVID belly? You yeah, get yeah. to Sunday and you look back and you go, what was that week? Like, Oh, well, Jesus, that was a three. Why was that a three? What did I do? I did this. I did this drinking, blah, blah, blah. What were some of the triggers? Is there a way that I can manage some of those triggers? Right. Then sometimes you'll have good weeks and you go, okay, what happened this week? What were some of the, the, the behaviors that I did that had a snowball effect? Right. So you're mm -hmm. going to become a scientist, rate yourself out of 10. And then um, uh, you, you actually commit to being your best the next week, right? What's the best that I can do next week? And then you read it. And when you have shit weeks, you don't beat yourself up. You learn the lessons like mm. a scientist. That was a field experiment last week. What variables in that experiment do we need to tweak, right? And the other thing that I would highly recommend that everybody does is go to your, get, get yourself a marker, go to your bathroom mirror, and write on your bathroom mirror, memento mori, right? Yeah. And um, these are two words that I got from Marcus Aurelius, um, the Roman emperor. He said, Marcus, memento mori, remember that you are mortal, that you could die at any point. And do this not to be morose, but to remind yourself that life is a precious gift. And that yeah. you should wake up every morning with extreme gratitude just to be alive. And you should use that thought, memento mori, to judge your behaviors and your actions that day, right? And I, I've really embraced memento mori. I've got a memento mori coin beside my bed. I've got it written on my bathroom mirror. I'm about to get my second tattoo, which is memento mori. Um, yeah. and, and, and I actually wake up every morning and go, how fucking awesome is it to be alive, right? And when you start the day like that, it, 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 it's actually hard to, 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 to really worry about all the mundane bullshit that we actually worry about. Yeah. <laughs> you go, this is awesome. I've got another day. What am I going to do that's productive? How am I going to move myself forward today? Fucking love it. Hey, that's why I say he's the best. <laughs> um, thanks so much, Paul. Um, so where can everybody find you? And I feel like I might be dropping you in it here but largely you do um like a lot of like corporate stuff and and bigger scale things but you've just shifted into doing doing some stuff where people if they're interested in the work that you do can come and, and join in your community a little bit and do yeah. some programs and things yeah so we uh, we're starting to run public programs now so i do a lot of corporate stuff my website is mindbodybrain.com.au also a banger podcast for anyone to listen to oh uh, well. yeah the, the mind body brain project i should say brain because australians don't understand me when i say brain <laughs> um, so mindbodybrain.com.au mindbodybrain project but on my website if you look at courses we have the better you program yeah um, which we just started our second one this week yeah um and, and we will be running more and um, better you programs so there are six week programs 
that, that people are going to deliver by me and my wife, Carly, who is um, accredited in Japanese psychology and acceptance commitment therapy, and is also a nutritionist. Amazing. Um, so we take people on, on a journey with that, with the app and that sort of stuff. So that, that's probably the best place that, that, that people can keep abreast. The podcast is, is, is probably a good one to, um, for that continual stuff. Amazing. Thanks so much, mate. Really appreciate it. And we're going to have you back soon. Awesome. Thanks, man. Peace. Have a good day. That was another episode of Real Drug Talk. Hope you enjoyed that with Paul Taylor. Uh, he's an absolute jet and I highly recommend you guys implement some of the stuff that he talked about in the episode. I'll put all the details to find him uh, below in the show notes and in the description. Again, highly recommend you check out all his stuff. It all applies to addiction. It's a lot of the stuff that we do in our program is just some of these core skills to help people to create the foundations and the frameworks to change as he talked about in the podcast so um, yeah really cool stuff as always if you're struggling with any um, addiction issues please check out connection-based living and get in touch with us you might not even decide to get help straight away but just making that first step and pointing yourself in the right direction is huge take care of yourself guys um hope everybody that's listening that is in lockdown is taking care of their mental health and taking care of themselves if you're not again reach out talk to someone talk to a friend talk to family just 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 put it out there um you know it, it could be all the difference stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode peace